Thank you, Michael. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. We've had a really good time together this week, and uh, going to keep doing that hopefully this morning. I also just want to say, what about the girl power up here this morning? That's very cool. That's very, very cool. I love seeing so much girl power up here in worship. We need more of that. Also, could we just get a girl bass player? Not that the guy bass player was bad, but like, we just round it out, you know? You know? I think, clearly I'm not busting on you, but you know, it would would look good up here. Where are the girl bass players? Anyway, uh, I just thought that was super rad. Uh, That's obviously something God is doing in your church. That's a really cool thing. And to see young ones as well. That's rad. Anyway, like Michael said, I'm from Campbellsville, Kentucky. And uh, we've just had a really good time together this week. And it's always good to get to be with the extended Vineyard family uh, around the world. Uh, Maybe you are aware of this or maybe you're not. But there are Vineyard churches all over America and actually all over the world. There's about 3,000 of these all over the world, you know, in urban settings and rural. And so it's always wonderful to get to go and be with this extended vineyard story. So really, really happy to be here this morning. Here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about why anybody would want to be a part of a church. The title of this morning's talk is called Pillar and Foundation. And you'll see where that comes from in a moment. And here's really what I want to do for a few minutes. I want to tell you a bunch of stories. And then I want to give you maybe just one sort of like philosophical reason why we would be a part of a church. And then I want to dig into the Bible real quick and give you some Bible foundations for why we might want to be a part of a church. Would that be okay? So I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories. Today is mostly story time, if that's okay. Um, Sometimes that's more fun. So a few years ago, I was in New York City. I got invited to this really wonderful worship gathering called Porter's Gate. It's like ecumenical. There's worship people from all over the world there. And it wasn't just vineyard people. In fact, I was the only vineyard guy there. I was sort of the the charismatic vineyard representative to this other much more diverse group. And after about three days of hanging out with a lot of people, my introvertness kicked in and I was like, I have to get out of here. I just, I cannot meet another person, you know? And I wanted to go to the Whitney Museum down in the southern or at the end of uh, Manhattan. And so I jumped on the train because it's like this very cool contemporary art museum. And I thought, I'll just go in there and be alone and enjoy everything that, uh, that I've seen in books and get to see it in person. And so I jumped on the train. I was on the subway. And when you're not a person who lives in New York City and you're kind of new there, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, you get on the subway and there's a little bit of anxiety that comes from being on the subway because you're not entirely sure if you're on the right train. And you could also be on the right train, but you could be going in the wrong direction. Do you know what I'm talking about? So you could think you're going to Wall Street when in fact you're headed toward like the Bronx or towards Harlem, right? And so I get on and I'm pretty sure I'm on the right train, but I'm not sure I'm going in the right direction. And so I'm looking up at the little clicker that's telling you which stop is next. And I'm trying to figure out, is that the right direction, right? And, and because I'm probably looking pretty much like a noob and who doesn't know what he's doing, uh, this guy next to me says, hey, what are you doing? 
was something along those lines. I'm like, well, I'm just trying to make sure I'm going the right direction. And he said, well, where are you wanting to go? And I told him where I wanted to go. And he's like, yeah, you're actually going the right direction. And, and, then, he, and then he says to me, well, what do you do? And like as a pastor, this is the question we don't want to have. So I told him, I, well, I, I told him, I'm self-employed. <laughs> I just, and right away, half, half of you are like, wow, this pastor lies. I do. I'm a liar. I, that may or may not help this message this morning. I told him I'm self-employed. And he's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, okay. I said, forget it. I'm a pastor. And he's like, really? You're a pastor? He said, you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, I'm a pastor. He's like, I got huge problems with the church. I said, I said, you're late to the party. I have huge problems with the church, you know? And so we talked about that for a few minutes. And, and finally, he asked me, he's like, what should I do about that? And I, I just told him, well, I, I got to get off the train. Like, this is my stop. But I just told him, I'm like, hey, don't lose heart. Like, it's not as bad as you might believe or you've even experienced. In fact, like, for the most part, even if you take all the bad stuff that's happened in church, the good stuff that happens in churches all over the world throughout history, like far outweighs the bad. I just told him, don't lose heart. And I got off and I went and looked at amazing art and I ate a hot dog and had, you know, just a little New York experience. But then at a certain part, point in the day, I realized I got to get back to Midtown. So I jumped back on the train and I was pretty sure I was on the right one going in the right direction again. And I put my earbuds in and I sat down. I was listening to music. And when you put your earbuds in, that's the universal sign of don't talk to me, you know. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and, and the guy kind of is next to me. And how many of you know you can feel when somebody's looking at you? It's that, it's like that sixth or seventh human sense. We have like more senses than, than you learned about in school. And, and one of them is the sense of, somebody's looking at me right now. And so I, I kind of did one of these and sure enough, this guy's looking at me and I'm, I'm like, you know, what are you looking at me for? You know, I'm not saying anything. Like, yeah. and, and he says, what are you listening to? <laughs> now I know the rules of the subway. <laughs> you don't talk to people. The same rules on the subway apply to how you deal with the male silverback gorilla. Never make eye contact, you know? It's like, be quiet, never make eye I know you're not supposed to talk to people. And so this guy says, what are you listening to? And I showed him, and, and he agreed that what I was listening to was kind of cool, so I felt pretty good about myself. And, 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 then, and then he says, well, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I lie, that's right. I lie for a living. Okay, everybody, can we just drop a pin in that comment? We're, gonna, we're coming back to that. I have the best story in the world that has nothing to do with this sermon. We're coming back to that, okay? So I just, but I, I didn't lie to him right then. And I just went right on and I told him, I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, he's like, I go to church, but I don't believe in God. Now, the other thing you need to know about me is I'm an atheist magnet. So like if we're at a party, or if we're on an airplane, the one guy or the one gal who's like super mad at God is going to sit next to me and we're going to talk, okay? And I'm actually okay with that. 
Uh, there's a chance that there's an atheist or two here, and, and the reason you came this morning is because I came from Kentucky, and now I'm here, and you were magnetized to this moment. <laughs> Anyway, so I said, that's very interesting. I said, that's really weird. Like, you don't believe in God, but you go to church. He's like, yeah, I go to mass every single morning. I go to church every day, 7 a.m. mass. I'm like, why do you go to 7 a.m. mass every single day if you don't believe in God? He goes, well, I like communion. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still not getting it, right? So I said to him, I'm like, why, why do you like communion so much? He's like, well, I just like that that at communion, at the church I go to, um, everyone stands up and gets in a line, and at the end, everybody gets the same thing. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's actually a picture of grace. Like, young and old, male and female, black and white, Hispanic and other, rich and poor, significant, insignificant, in God's house, everybody gets the same thing, you know? I thought that was great. I just told him, I said, hey, I know you don't believe in God, but like you are not far from the kingdom of heaven, you know? Really touched me. So I get off the train, I go on up to the building that I'm going to in Midtown, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, this was a little prophetic moment, Adam. I'm like, what? He said, you're gonna get questions about the validity of church Coming and going. Get ready. That's basically what's happened. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about church and why we do church and why would anybody want to be a part of it. Okay, now let's go back to the pen, okay? This has nothing to do with the message. But I'm a preacher. This is kind of funny. You... Um, one Sunday, I thought I'd preach pretty good at home. And I told a few stories. And we were around the family dinner table. And one of my children says to me, uh, she says, hey, dad, when you were at church telling the stories today, were you telling the truth or were you preaching? <laughs> I said, I said, yes. <laughs> I just, I think that's awesome. So now when I meet preachers, I ask them all at the end, I'm like, you, you telling the truth or you preaching today? Okay, out of the pen. Here we go. Um, yeah, why would anybody want to be a part of the church? I just want to tell you some more stories, okay? Uh, the reason I want to tell you some stories is I just have to tell you, I'm a church guy. So, so many of the things that have been like important in my life have actually happened at church. So, for instance, my parents, they got radically saved in the charismatic renewal of the late 1970s. My dad was essentially a non-practicing wild man Baptist who never really went to church or cared about God. He raced motorcycles and beat people up, you know? That was who he was. He got radically saved uh, and spoke in tongues. And my mom was essentially a little church mouse who grew up in a borderline fundamentalist Church of Christ experience. Uh, and she also got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And so my sister and I, uh, we grew up in like charismatic churches or like charismatic home groups. That's the thing that I remember the most. The thing I remember the most is like laying behind a couch or underneath a table in a living room or in the kitchen that joins a living room where a bunch of adults were singing in the spirit. And by singing in the spirit, I mean singing in tongues, you know? And some of us here are like, yeah, that's normal. And some of us here are like, that's really weird. Yeah, it was. It was all of that. It was weird and normal all at the same time. 
And that deeply shaped me, you know? So from a very early age, I just grew up with what I would call God consciousness. Uh, in fact, I don't remember getting saved. I mean, I remember getting baptized, but I don't really remember getting saved in the formal sense that we sometimes talk about it. I got dunked, I got all of that. But we just grew up in this atmosphere of, of God's activity and, and, and God talk and experiences of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, uh, that was sort of my upbringing until about late middle school and my sister and I told my mom we were like hey we want friends and so can we go to another church uh, it's I told you guys on on Thursday night it's hard being a charismatic you know it's just really hard and so we went to this other church but what happened to me at this other church and it was the exact opposite of all this experience I'd had up to this point uh was I got in a youth group and I got all these friends. But the thing that really, really happened was I, I got into contact with a couple of youth pastors. And this church was, was not a Holy Spirit church. It was just like, it was just a regular uh, Christian church. And, and because I was there and I had these great youth pastors, I got really, really loved for the first time in my life from someone who wasn't blood kin or family. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Like when, when some people chose to like really care about you and invest in your life and they weren't really family, this, well, this happened to me. I got really drawn in and some people started calling out the good in me and telling me who I really was and they started teaching me the Bible in a new way. Now, I had always loved the Bible, but I had never really had anybody talk with me about the Bible. I loved Jesus. I loved God. I loved the Holy Spirit. I really, really loved the Bible. I was always interested and for the first time, I had somebody that I could talk with about the scriptures. And it really formed me. And it started waking up more than just God consciousness in my life. It started waking up really this idea that maybe I was called to something more. Uh, maybe I was called to the pastorate. But at the same time, I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to be a pastor because all the pastors I see are people that I do not want to be like. That was. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's like... That's how my 15 and 16 year old brain was working. Okay, well then at the same time, at the same time, my, my father-in-law, who was not my father-in-law, he was just the guy who was the father of the girl I was dating, who I met at that youth group. He was a chiropractor. And he had once been a pastor, and he reads this magazine one day. And the magazine he reads is Charisma. And there's these stories in this Charisma magazine, uh, this is the mid-90s, about something that's happening up in Toronto, about this super weird meeting that's going on up there. And some of you have maybe heard about it, and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just hang with me. Anyway, my, my, my father-in-law, who wasn't at the time, is reading this magazine, and he comes to me and he says, Adam, he's like, there's a story in this magazine about something that's happening up north. And he goes, it sounds exactly like, it sounds exactly like uh, the revival that happened on the frontier in Kentucky at Cane Ridge. Anybody here ever heard of the Cane Ridge revival? Yeah, there was a massive, there was a massive frontier revival that happened in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, uh, many hundreds of years ago. And, and my father-in-law was reading about this and he goes, it, it, it sounds the same. And he says to me, would you like to go with me to Toronto and see what's going on? This is super weird, right? Wait. 
Like, he's not my father-in-law. He's just the dad of the girl I'm dating. But I thought, well, I kind of like him, and I definitely love his daughter. And, you know, a free plane ride to Toronto, who could pass that up? So we jump on the plane and we go. Now, I had no idea what I was about to walk into. I had, I had really no concept. I didn't read that article. I just talked to him for a little bit, but I still didn't know what it was. Uh, I didn't know how many people were going to be there. I had no idea the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that would be walking around and happening. But what I can tell you is, when we came to the building where this big meeting is happening... Uh, 15 or 20 feet outside of that building, I can hear the band and I can hear the singing. And the reason I can hear the singing is because inside there's like 4,000 people. Okay, but I didn't know it was that big. But I can hear it and and, and, and we were just a touch late, right? So right before we even get there, I'm aware something is going on in there. And when we open up the door, the only thing I can tell you is, is it's like I walked through a membrane. It's like what it was outside was not the same thing as it was on the inside. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's a, it's a thing, you know? And some of you are like, well, that sounds a little woo woo. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway, that was my experience. And it was like, I walked through this bubble, right? And I only made it like 10 or 15 steps into this room and I just, I got crushed and I was on the ground, okay? Now, I don't even, I can't even tell you why I'm on the ground other than I'm overcome with something, right? And at this meeting and at this time, especially in the mid-90s, for someone to fall down in a meeting like that, that's like blood in a shark tank. It's like chum. (laughs) Only I'm the chum, you know? And all of a sudden, people I don't know have surrounded me and they're putting their hands on me and they're praying for me. And whatever had started to happen with me began to increase. It was like everything just increased. And and the only thing I can tell you is, uh, basically what happened is this. Uh, The love of God became very, very real to me. Like everything that I had grown up knowing here made the 18-inch journey to here. I just didn't know it here. I, I, I'm experiencing it. And the only thing I can tell you is, is that I was laying on the ground, which is definitely not what a 17-year-old boy wants to do with his not father-in-law. Okay? I'm laying on the ground. I'm unable to move. Completely unable to move. I can't get up. I try to get, I can't, I just can't get up. There's this, it's, it's physical. It, it's not just, it's not spiritual. It's not just up there. It's, it's in me. It's on me. It's around me. And I can't move. And all I can tell you is, is deep on the inside, I knew that there was a God and he loved me exactly the way I was. And this little phrase dropped into my heart when I was 17 and it's never left me. And and it's something like this. If you never change, if you never change, I will not love you more than I do right now. And if you change a lot, If you change a lot, I will also not love you more than I do right now. Something like, it's kind of like mystical, right? I got up, I'm kind of like, anybody ever heard of drunk in the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Acts chapter two, you know, like I am, whoo, I'm like this. Anyway, come back the next day, this meeting is still happening and there's 4,000 people, and there's a pastor, and it's kind of amazing. And, and I, I remember telling Jesus, 
because I'd been struggling with my own call to ministry. If you'll let me do this, whatever this is or whatever's going on up there, like if that's what you're asking me to do, I'm in, right? I'm in. One more story. This is a vineyard story. Shortly after that, um, my tiny little vineyard church that happened on accident in Campbellsville, Kentucky, they sent my cousin and I to Southern California to a vineyard worship conference, which is hysterical. It's absolutely hysterical. It's like the late 90s, and they sent a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old I mean, there's no cell phones, you guys. They gave us $500 in cash, a credit card, and said, good luck, you know? They put us on airplanes and just sent us across the country. And as soon as we land in LAX, we're like surrounded by Hare Krishna. We didn't know what to do. We're like, we're like, we somehow get a taxi and we get to our hotel and we find out it's a bit of a walk. We're walking back and forth to the building. Anyway, really powerful week. One of the last nights, John Wimber is speaking. He's the founder of the vineyard, okay? But at this point, he's really, really sick, and he has no strength left in his body, and there's like a podium, and John's kind of sitting on a stool, but he's mostly like leaning on this podium. There's nothing, there's nothing compelling or charismatic left in his, in his body. He has no strength. Every three or four lines, he's praying uh, pig spit into his mouth because his saliva glands are toast, and... During his message, where he is not particularly compelling, the room is getting slammed with the Holy Spirit. Like people are falling out of their chairs, people are crying, people are like beginning to worship God. And, and I remember at one point John is like, I don't really know why this happens, you know? Anyway, at the end of his message, he says, he says something like this. He says, hey, if you're young, uh, if you're under 30, please come forward. We want to pray for you because we have to pass this on to another generation. I don't know how much longer I'm going to last. That's basically what he said, right? And I'm like, well, I'm under 30. I was like 17. And I, so I went forward and I got in line. Uh, imagine like this, just right up front like we do at the vineyard. And I did the vineyard thing where you put your hands out like this. this I was vineyard broken, you know? And I closed my eyes and I waited for someone to come pray for me and someone did come pray for me. And this person laid their hands on me and they began to pray. Very normal vineyard things, but then they all of a sudden began to do something very not normal. And this person uh, shouted as loud as a person can humanly shout, basically into my stomach, the word freedom. Okay, so imagine a man standing in front of a young boy screaming the word freedom into his stomach, right? Like he William wallace me. It was the mid-90s. Braveheart was a thing. And so <laughs> some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just go home and watch Braveheart. It's a pretty good movie. And he William wallace to me. Anyway, so he screams freedom and I fall down. And that same thing happens again. Like I just get overcome with the love of God. Not the intellectual love of God, but like the actual felt affections of God. And by the way, I just want to tell you, this is normal Christian experience. Uh, normal Christian experience is not just to know it here, but to know it in your person, right? There we go. William Wallace is here. Anyhow, I finally get up. High five. I finally get up, and my cousin and I, we go back to the hotel, and we're trying to get in, and we're using the little magnetic strip thing, you know, the little, and it doesn't work. I didn't think anything of it. I went back down, and the, the nice lady made me another one, and 
And we went to our hotel and we went to sleep. The next morning we're checking out and I tried to use my credit card to pay for the hotel room. Anyway, it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. But, but this was still at the time period where they could, they could use the imprint, the chunk chunk thing, you know, it was like, and so we didn't have to like wash dishes for a month in the back or something. I don't know. Cause we'd already spent our $500, you know, it's, we found out about Starbucks. We had never seen one before. I'm not joking. I was like, what's that? You know, we were just caffeinated all week. Anyway, so, but then I'd also noticed that, that my watch wasn't working. And, and at that point, I kind of put it together. Like whatever happened to me the night before had killed everything electronic magnetic on my body. It was just, psh. yeah, yeah. But what happened there? What happened there was I, I got more deeply seated, not only in my knowledge of God's love for me, but my, my willingness to do the things he was asking me to do and to be the person he was asking me to be, which is a pastor. Why am I telling you these stories? I'm telling you these stories because I'm a church guy. I'm telling you these stories because almost all the major and really significant moments of my life have happened in, through, and during church. I'm just telling you a few stories. I could tell you way more. Uh, I was born in church. Uh, I, I woke up to God in church. I woke up to the Holy Spirit in church. I met my wife in church. Uh, I became really great friends with my father-in-law in church. Uh, I got called to be a pastor in church. I got convinced that I could actually be a pastor in church. Like All the things that are really important to me have happened in gatherings like this. Now, the second thing I want to talk to you about this morning is, is this, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I am convinced that pretty much everybody's going to church. In fact, I want to tell you, not only am I convinced that everybody's going to church, I'll just say it more strongly. Everybody is going to church. Now, they may not come here, and they may not go to the Baptist church. They may not be a part of the Methodist church down the road. Uh, they may not go to a home church, but everybody that you know is going to church. And here's why. Human beings are deeply religious creatures. Everybody has a liturgy. Everybody has a pattern and a way of being. Everybody has a rhythm in their life. Everybody has things they believe and then practices that come out of what they believe that establish what they believe even more. Does that make sense? Like, and, in a, and in a very like low level way, um, uh, everybody here has like, just like, maybe you have a morning routine where you get up uh, an hour earlier than everyone else and you have your coffee and you read your paper alone at your spot on the couch every single day and that's how you start your day. Uh, how many of you understand that that's a liturgy and that is, that is coming out of your uh, religious reflexes? I'll tell you about where I come from. I come from Kentucky. Uh, we, we're deeply religious in Kentucky. Uh, and even people who don't go to a church like this, uh, we all belong to this other church. Uh, in fact, it, it works kind of like this. Uh, pretty much everyone in Kentucky regularly wears blue and, and occasionally will, will chant things like this. C-A-T-S. Uh, we have a cathedral. It's Rupp Arena. 
We have a pope. It's John Calipari. And we have special holidays. It's March Madness. Like everybody, and, and I, think, I think you guys do some of the same weird stuff, don't you? Like, isn't there a team down the road that you guys are sort of obsessed with? We break the power of this demonic delusion. No. Yeah, isn't it funny how this works? Like, everybody is going to church. Everybody's going to church. Human beings are deeply religious, even the ones who don't acknowledge God. Uh, not only that, uh, everybody, and by everybody, I mean all people have a capacity for wonder. We've been wired for wonder. Isn't that weird? Everybody has a capacity for wonder. Like, Somewhere inside of you, in your physiology, in your biology, uh, there is something that makes you awake to the wonder of life. Uh, how many of you have seen a sunset that was so perfect and beautiful that it seemed to point to an even greater beauty, order, and perfection? Yeah, my wife and I, we spent two weeks in Maui one time, and every single night the sun would go down, and it, it would just make you awake to, to this reality that I don't know what's going on on our planet or with people or in our solar system, but there is a much bigger and wider beauty, order, and perfection that exists out there. Uh, Heschel calls it the ineffable. How many of you have ever sat around the table with some friends or maybe your family, and, it, and, and maybe the food is, is really good, and, and maybe the conversation is is really good and maybe like the kids are actually being good and there's like this there's this harmony in your house and you're like you're like in it and everyone's enjoying one another and then all of a sudden you just sort of wake up to ah uh, there's something more going on here anybody had that experience like you just know, you're just like, wow, this is, this is more than just family. Somehow my family and the harmony we're enjoying right now is telling the story about an even greater family and an even greater love that exists in the universe. Yeah, how many of you have ever woken up to those kinds of things? What I'm trying to say is we have a capacity for transcendence. And even the latest neuroscience doesn't diminish a thing. If anything, it increases the wonder because behind all the chemicals in the brain scan stands the question, why? Why do people have a capacity for wonder? Why? You know what? Why? We've all been baffled or overwhelmed by the beauty and the wonder of life. Uh, also, how many of you have ever been overwhelmed and baffled by the pain and the agony of life? Right? And here's what I've found. I've found that people, when confronted with either the beauty and the transcendence and the wonder of life, or when confronted with the pain and the agony and the, and the brutality of life, when we, when we encounter either one of these two things, we're actually encountering things that we barely have language for. Again, Heschel calls it the ineffable. It's that thing that's more. And in the presence of more, human beings always do one thing. Do you know what it is? We tell stories. Why? Because storytelling is how we, how we make sense of the world. Storytelling is deeply connected to meaning making in the world. This is why there is no human culture that is not a storytelling culture. And if it's a storytelling culture, then it's actually a deeply religious culture. All right? 
I want to put up a quote from an author named David Dark. I think it's in this presentation. If it's not, I'll read it to you. Here's what David Dark says. He says, I find it most helpful to define religion as follows. A religion is a controlling story, and there are at least as many as there are people. Stories change, but the fact of story doesn't. When we escape a bad story or see through one into the shock, the awe or absurdity of what's really going on, we haven't escaped stories. We've simply awakened our way into a better and truer one. And we've probably only managed that feat with the considerate assistance of others, whether living or dead, no one awakens all by themselves. Conversions occur all the time, for better or worse. We drink the Kool-Aid, religion happens. I love this. What is David Dark saying? David Dark is saying, because we're deeply religious and because there's things that we can't explain in life, both wonderful and terrible, because there's something always going on, we have to tell stories to make meaning. And the meaning-making is a part of our uh, religious function. It's part of who we are. And whether you go to church or not, everybody's kind of going to church. And stories are the manifestation of that reality. So the question for us as church people is this. Is our story any good? That's really what he's saying. It's not a matter of whether or not you believe a story. You do believe a story. The question is, is the story we believe any good? And I just want to tell you, I think our story is the best story that there is. I've yet to find a story better than the Jesus story. What is the Jesus story? Let me just walk you through it real quick. It's that God became a person. God is not someone who is far away. God is not someone who lives in another time zone. God has taken up residence and he is one of us in human flesh forever. Not only that, uh, I believe in Jesus because of who he is and what he does, that he sets people free, that he is near the brokenhearted, that he finds the weak, that he would leave the 99 to go and find the one. And how many of you know that's bad math? That's bad math. Like a good businessman just says, well, the 1% loss we can handle. But that's not Jesus. Jesus will risk the 99 to find the one. And that's very compelling to me, you know? And we see, we see not only this, but that Jesus would lay down his actual life for the world on the cross. I think this is an amazing story, you know? And I don't think there's a better story than that. And not only is the way that Jesus lays down his life for the lost a compelling story for me, but the resurrected Jesus is the most compelling thing for me. And here's why. Because Jesus was sold out, not just by religious leaders and political leaders who wanted him dead, but Jesus was sold out by some of his best friends, the guys who knew him best, who saw him do all of his miracles, who heard all of his teaching and hung out with him for three years. For three years, when he needed the most, they all scattered. Peter's like, Jesus, I'll go anywhere with you. Dude, I'll die with you. Jesus is like, man, you won't even last the night. And Peter does run away, and Judas sells him for 30 pieces of silver. And silver, I speak for a living. Can we, can we adjust that on the podcast? My ego can't handle that. Anyway... <laughs> Judas sells him out and Jesus is washing his feet probably when Judas had already made the exchange and has the money in his pockets, right? And then Jesus gets killed 
sold out by his best friends, dies a na- basically dies naked and alone. Maybe John is there, maybe the Marys are there. That's about it. And then he's resurrected. And here's the most compelling part of the Jesus story for me. The resurrected Jesus comes back and he finds all the guys who sold him out. And guess what he says to them? It's in John chapter 20. The first word Jesus says to his disciples in that room is the word peace to you. How many of you know that if you got resurrected from the dead and you had been sold out by your buddies who had been with you for three years and you get raised from the dead, you would probably go find them and you would say something to the effect of, let's do some talking. (laughs) How many of you would want revenge? This is one of the best parts of the Jesus story for me. And this is why I'm ultimately a church person and I'm a Jesus person because I don't think there's another story better than God would come near, God would hang out with people, God would love the least and the lost. He would leave the 99 and find the one that he would give his actual body for actual people. And when he's raised from the dead, he would not count men's sins against them. And he would go find the traitors and he would pull them back on his team. And I think he would have done the same for Judas if he had not hung himself. God is that kind of person. And I don't think there's a better story than that. Okay, very quickly, I know I'm talking a lot, okay? And some of you are like, you have not even mentioned the Bible. (laughs) Let's make it legal this morning. Let's put up a scripture. (laughs) This is out of 1 Timothy. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. We're kind of coming in mid-argument, but the stuff in italics is what's important this morning. Paul says, so if I'm delayed, you'll know how the people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Uh, the third reason why a person would want to be a part of the church is because it's a pillar and a foundation of the truth. And I hope you noticed this morning that what Paul says is not that the church is the truth, but the church is a pillar and a foundation for the truth. In fact, some people are really upset or have been really wounded because they thought the church was the truth when the church was never the truth. Jesus is the truth. The church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And by the way, what what do pillars and foundations do? Hold it up. I want to give you two things this morning about what it means for you and I to be the church and why maybe we'd want to be a part of the church. You and I are called to be together a pillar and a foundation of the truth. And what I hear in this is two things in particular. I hear our humble call and I hear an exalted call. Talk to you really quickly about the humble call. How many of you understand that no one, uh, no one goes to a magnificent building and takes pictures of the foundations? Right? There's no postcards of foundations. No one, no one goes to, no one goes to uh, the Empire State Building and, and asks the attendant at the front door, could you take me to the footers? You know, it just doesn't happen. No one's like, man, the foundation's in this building. They don't get a lot of architectural love. And so part of what that tells me is that part of what it means to be the church is a humble and, it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a lowly place. 
Part of our calling in the world is, is one of humility. How many of you also know that footers and foundations and pillars are set into the dirt? This speaks of humility. Like, what is the, what is the job of the church? It is, it is to humbly accept our proper place. Let God put us in the dirt. Take the low position so that we could hold up the truth, and that'd be Jesus, right? Take the humble position of, as a community, making Jesus famous. Take the humble position of, as a community, making Jesus great in our midst, making Jesus great in our city, making Jesus great in our state. It's not about you being great or me being great. It's about Jesus being great. That's part of what I hear here. Being a pillar and a foundation for the greatness of Jesus. And part of this humility, I believe, has to do with this. It has to do with doing what Jesus did in the way that Jesus did it. And what did Jesus do? Oh, he, he welcomed the least, the lost, the, more, the marginalized, the foreigner, the person who was on the edge, the person who was really unlike you and me. Those are the people that Jesus welcomed in. He would leave the 99 to go and get the one. Uh, Jesus would also heal the sick and he would kick out devils and he would cleanse lepers. Uh, read for that, people who have been ostracized. He would bring them back into the community. Jesus would, would welcome those that were far away. This is what Jesus would do. And how would he do it? Uh, we, we're called to do it the humble way, which is not just what Jesus did, but how he did it, you know, which was, was never about making himself some big deal. Jesus was oftentimes working in secret and around behind and didn't always get a hand clap for what was going on. Like Jesus would heal somebody and he would tell them, hey, don't tell anybody, you know? And I think that part of what the Spirit is saying to us, like why would a person want to be a part of the church? So we could be a part of holding up the truth. And part of that is the humble reality that, that we're just here to make Jesus famous. And we're here to do that by doing the things that Jesus does the way that he does them. But secondarily, I hear an exalted call in this. How many of you know that if you're a pillar or a foundation, that, 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 that pillars and foundations hold up something, and that God, I believe, is building a, a glorious cathedral? And if God is building a glorious good news cathedral, if he's architecting something that's beautiful and that is not just here, but that is everywhere, uh, I would use the word cosmic. And if it's not just in our time, but if it's in all time, if God is building a cosmic in all times cathedral of good news for the whole world throughout the ages, how many of you know that if you are a pillar and a foundation for something like that, it's not just a humble call, but God has given you exalted glory as well. How many of you know that if, 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 the, if the head has glory and if the head is Jesus Christ, then the body has glory? How many of you know that if there is a spire or if there is an arch in the cathedral of God, if, if that, that arch and that spire has to be held up by something, and if, this, if the arch is glorious, then the foundation that it holds it up is also glorious. And why am I saying this? I just want to wrap it up right here. I'm saying that because right now there are so many narratives in the world. I'll tie this back to story. There are so many stories that are being told right now. Uh, the world tells you uh, this story every single day. It's the story of, uh, in order to be significant, you need to be rich. 
The story of in order to be significant, you need to be uh, good looking. In order to be significant, you need influence. In order to be significant, you need lots of social media followers. In order to be important, uh, you need to be a person who runs with movers and shakers. Uh, in order to be important, you need to give your best energy to the most important people. And, and you don't need to, to spend much time with unimportant people or broken people. They'll only weigh you down. That's a story. And it's not just a story, that's a religious story. If you live into that story, you'll live into a religious way of being. But the kingdom of heaven says there is not just a humble calling, but an exalted calling, and the exalted calling is this. The exalted calling is this. Live for the least. Live for the lost. Live for the broken. Live for the weak. Live for the foreigner. Live for the immigrant. Live for the outcast. Live for people who are on the wrong side of town. Uh, give your best to the ones who deserve it least. And don't tell anybody about it. Have some sort of a secret life. Be generous. Extend your table uh, to a few more people. Uh, get to know your neighbors. Uh, coach a soccer team for little kids. And treat the kid who can't do anything like you treat the star player. Like welcome people in. Can I tell you, this is the thing that people really want. And, you, and I'll just tell you, this won't make you famous. It won't make you culturally important. Maybe nobody will give you a hand clap. But this is the exalted call of what it means to be the church. It's not just humble, but this is what it means to share in the glory of Jesus. To give your best to people who deserve it least. To, to find somebody who's really unlike you and to welcome them in. Uh, to think about your life right now, uh, in your family or in your neighborhood, who is that one black sheep who ran off? You know, who, who's, the, who's the, the person in your family who, who, who just tucked tail and ran and is going in a direction that is not going to lead to anything good? Maybe, maybe you should go get them. You know what? They probably won't write about you in the Columbus paper. You won't get more Instagram followers. But this is the thing that could connect you to this good news cathedral that God is building all over the world and throughout the ages that has glory that will never end. That will never end. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm sorry I talk so much. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I want to do this morning. 